Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Sunday we read a psalm um, and it's a way to be united not just with the word of God but with other churches that read the same psalm. Um, I'll start that now. It says Psalms 81 through 7 and then it'll also be verses 16 through 18. And it says give ear O shepherd of Israel you who led Joseph like a flock you are enthroned upon the cherub shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh amongst themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Verse 16. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. May we bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you for today, Sunday, December 3rd, Father God, that we have the time to um, gather together, Father God, and just praise you. We welcome the Holy Spirit here today, Father God. May he be honored. May Jesus be pleased with the voices and with the song in our voice, Father God. May we connect with others, Father God. May people feel and know that you are God, Father God. We invite people to be still on today, God, that they know that you are the God of God, that you are the Alpha and Omega God. We pray, Father God, that those who are new here feel welcome at our family table, Father God. We pray that they feel connected. God, we pray that the love that you have for us is um, represented today, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this is our first week um, in the Advent calendar. And so 
For the next four weeks, we will be doing a scripture reading and a lighting of a candle um, for each theme um, of the Advent calendar. And so the theme for this week is um, hope. And our middle schoolers are going to lead us, some of our middle schoolers are going to lead us in the candle lighting and the scripture reading scripture reading. Um, and so I just encourage you, they're going to be reading a passage from the lectionary. And this is something that believers all around the world are joining in and taking our eyes off of the Christmas season and looking to Jesus and with the anticipation and truly the hope of knowing that Jesus came and he's coming again. And that is a beautiful thing for us to rest in this season. Oh, that you would render the heavens and come down, that the mountain might quake in your presence. And as the fire kindle brushes, and the fire would cause causes water to boil, and to make your name known to adversaries, and that the nations might tremble in your presence. When you did awesome things we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no has heard, or preserved by the ear, no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember in your ways. Behold, you are angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean and on all our righteous deeds we are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our inequality and quantities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and made us melt in the hands of our inequities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not inequality forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. We watch and wait for Christ's coming. During this Advent season, we light candles of hope, peace, joy and love remembering the promises of god with prayer and thanksgiving today on the first sunday of advent we light a candle of hope we remember how the people of god longed for the coming of the messiah and we too look forward in hope to to the day when jesus will return so i'm going to read the last part and the words are going to be on the screen and if we could corporately read this um together in unison God of justice and peace, from the heavens you rain down mercy and kindness, that on all the earth may stand in awe and wonder before your marvelous deeds. Raise our heads in expectation that we may yearn for the coming day of the Lord and stand without blame before your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. So Holy Spirit, let hope arise for those who have come in with just a shred of hope. 
Will you blow on that flickering wick that it would come to life? Let hope arise in us for this life and for the next. We put our hope in you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray real quick. Father, I thank you so much for Advent. I thank you for our church. I thank you that today we're not tempted to start the season jumping into materialism and consumerism and celebrating this version of Christmas that we enjoy and we love our family, but really paints you to be something maybe sometimes you're not. But we would rather choose to go at the pace that says that you're a good father, that you love us, and that you want to be with us, and that we can breathe out instead of trying to accomplish a thousand things in December. We just want you here today. Really want your presence. Really want what you bring and not what we bring. Even our greatest efforts and our smartest people, while they can do some great things, Father, you know exactly what's needed every time. So today we just, we, we submit this service to you. We submit our lives to you. We just want you. We just want you in a real way. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, Sarah, you want to come up? So can you bring your phone to the Sarah Luke recording? So we visited Sarah Luke. If you guys don't know, we have somebody in our community that um, we love who's much older, and she um, is fighting a battle with her health and feels in the process like God is saying to her, your healing will come in heaven. And so I know we have people in our church that really believe, including myself, in healing prayer. She believes this is what Jesus wants to do. So we're not asking, I mean, pray for her, pray for healing, that'd be great. But she wanted to speak to us, and so we record her. She can't come, of course, that wouldn't be easy. Um, so this is her prayer. She, we ask her, we just give her, like, open space, because Sarah, you never know what she's going to say. It could be, like, <laughs> literally, like, it could be dangerous. So she just started praying. So we're like, are you going to record the prayer? Okay. Okay. It's playing. Well, Father God, I just thank you and praise you for this visit today from Josh and Sarah. Father, we all have so much to be grateful for, and Father, we do thank you. And Father, we do ask you to help us honor you in all that we do, Father. And Father, today I just pray a special blessing over Sarah and Josh that you would uh Now, give them strength, but be their strength. Don't give them wisdom, but be their wisdom, Father, in this huge thing that they're carrying out. Father, I pray for River City Church. I ask you, Father, to be the wisdom of of the people, Father, uh, who are leaders of the the elders and of all the people that, that, um, that you have placed in that strategic point for this special time, for like I like the movie, like Esther, for such a time as this. So, Father, I praise you and thank you that those things are coming up about, that there's going to be exponential growth, that, it, that, that it's a place of not just growing, but a place of healing, yeah. a place of love that draws other people, Father. So, Father, I thank you for that. And, Father, as long as I can, I'll keep praying for that. And I'll have to admit I'm a little sad that I won't get to see a lot of that. But 
what I'll be seeing will be way beyond and above that, Father. <laughs> so, Father, we just thank you for that, and I just ask you to bless each and every person, the ones that are there now, uh, coming in regular, and the ones that are still yet to come, Father. Thank you that they're going to have a place to come to to find, like I did, like I did, where they can be loved uh, in spite of the dirt, where they can just be stinky but be cleaned up, Father. So, Father, we just uh, we just thank you that that's there, that it's in place, Father. Prepare each and every person for that to continue and to grow. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, okay, so Josh is giving me a couple minutes to just share about Advent because we recognize that maybe not everyone has come from a tradition that observed Advent. And so um, we don't want to assume that. So we want you to feel like you know what we're observing. Um, so Advent is the first season in the Christian liturgical calendar. So um, this is actually the beginning of the Christian New Year, which is really a fun and different way of looking at our life and at time. We typically orient ourselves around um, the world's concept of time, but it's really interesting the more we shift to the Christian calendar. Um, for me in my own life, I've seen so much more intentionality that I've been placing into the Christian seasons and just allowing God to interact with me in different ways for each of the seasons. So, But Advent has a really long history. It goes back almost 1,600 years. The early church observed Advent as a time of prayer and fasting. It was actually a very solemn time that led up to the Christmas season, which began on Christmas Eve. So they didn't actually celebrate Christmas until Christmas Eve, and then they celebrated it for 12 days, right? On the 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. <laughs> Guys! Oh, yeah, there you go. The first one. Yeah. Okay, so on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Partridge in a pear tree. See, now we know you can all join choir, right there, right there. Yeah. Um, so that's where we got that from, right? So these liturgical seasons. Um, the four weeks leading up to Christmas are, so every Sunday is a new week of Advent. Like this is the first week of Advent. And the typical themes are hope, love, peace, and joy. And so we'll be sort of using those themes um, throughout the Advent system. Advent season. Um, the candles, you see that these are not red and green, right? Um, the purple candles represent the royalty of Christ, and the pink candle represents joy. Um, and so that's why we have purple and pink. Um, for some of you, you're like, this clashes. But it's okay. We're all going to be okay. It's just purple and pink. It's going to be fine. Um, so Advent is a word that means arrival or coming. So it's the advent of Christmas, right? The coming of Christmas, or Christmas is coming soon. During Advent, we remember that the Jews for thousands of years longed for the coming of the Messiah, right? So it's really neat to, as we have these longings in our own heart, to identify with them and what they were longing for. And that, that for many of them, they never saw the coming of the Messiah, but they always had the hope that he would come. And we live in the now and not yet, and that we have, Christ has come, right? He has come like the rain, but we still struggle with 
we still struggle with hopelessness, with brokenness, with the darkness. And so now we look forward to the return of Christ, right? So Advent is us being present in that tension and being okay with that tension, right? The now and the not yet. Um, so for River City, um, there's a couple things that have been on my heart for us as a community. And what's so interesting is that from the beginning of this service, I have heard verbalized over and over, rest, stillness, rest, peace, quiet, right? We've heard that. Oh, we had it in our, our early meeting. You guys, the birthday people said it. And so that, I believe, is what we are being invited into for this Advent. So... The Christmas season, you start seeing those commercials. It will tell you to be busy, to get busier, to buy more, to do more, to rush more. And we as a community are saying, do the opposite. So when we talk about the good life at River City, we talk about how we are always moving towards something, right? And so the, the Christian uh, good life says, move towards rest, move towards stillness, move towards peace, right? Out there, it will tell you to move towards busyness and more and more and this insatiable appetite. So as a community this season, we want to practice the opposite, silence, solitude, and stillness. Now, what that requires is a lot on our part, right, to make that happen. So corporately, as a church, in the months of December and January, we are scaling back all of our programming, which means we won't have regularly, regularly scheduled, but we won't have regularly life groups. We won't have regular, you know, night of healing prayer. We won't have events. And we are doing this purposefully. Not that you can go in your house and be a hermit. So that's not what we're saying, but that you can create a little bit more rest and get together with each other uh, more organically. So have enough time in your week that maybe you can go out to dinner or just call someone up or go for a walk. So don't not meet together. But we are specifically, as a church, moving into a season of rest. We want our church to observe um, that rhythm. So we're going to be doing that together. Now, individually, we're going to ask that you create space, okay? You have to create the space to recalibrate your heart. So if we're saying that we love God and the kingdom, we have to teach our heart to love that way. And so how can you do that? You have to be willing to detach. There's, there's several disciplines that can help you pull away from the busyness. So detachment, slowing down, unplugging from media or devices. You have to start this season saying, how can I slow down? And then you can move into, how can I be intentional? Some ways you can do this is to pursue silence, solitude, stillness. That's something that word stillness for me is what I'm going to be pursuing this Advent. That not only just being by myself and silent, but teaching myself that I am in, in and of myself am beloved by God. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to be anywhere. I don't have to meet everyone's needs that I am beloved in my stillness. Other things you can do is a lot of us are doing Advent devotionals. There are a bazillion out there, okay? If you need some suggestions for some ones that we like, please come see me. You can do the Ann Voskamp book with your family. We do that as a family, and we love that time. It's very intentional. My children even ask to do it. They don't want to miss it. Um, and then in that time, you can ask yourself these questions. Where do you notice the spirit stirring in the midst of the silence and stillness? Okay? So the spirit's not always moving in the noise. Where can we really feel and sense him in the stillness? And what might God be conceiving in you this season? 
So Emmanuel is God with us, right? So how can he be birthed again inside of us? What is God conceiving in you? Maybe allow yourself to dream this Advent season. But please, if you need any resources, I love Advent. So I would love to talk about it, share about it. Feel free to email me or come up to me, and I will gladly share with you what we do, what we personally do, and what some of our staff do. Thank you. Everybody loves Sarah so much. All right, so I'm going to jump into Isaiah. Um, before I do that, um, hope defined. What is hope? So just real simply, what hope is not is like, um, I hope Alabama gets in the college playoffs. Like, that's like hope, biblical hope is if Alabama gets in the playoffs and plays Georgia, they will win. Do you see the difference? So there's two different kinds of hopes. So the first is kind of how we frame hope. I hope I get this for Christmas. The second is a certainty of something, right? Biblical hope is hope in that certainty. The Alabama thing, it's real, guys. Just be honest. <laughs> Honestly, it's Georgia. Just a side note, the most Georgia thing that could have ever happened to Georgia would be if Mark Rick took his team to the national championship and beat Georgia. That would be the most Georgia thing that ever happened. And we would all be like, yeah, that makes sense. This is Georgia sports, right? Who thought about that before? Anybody? Totally, right? So... Side note, biblical again, okay, calm down. Hope in Christ says something different. It's not, he maybe is coming back. It's this place we get where we feel confident of that, where we start to actually put our eggs in that basket. So as we talk about hope, we talk about it because there's not a lot of hope in a lot of places, and that's why hope exists. Hope can't exist without waiting and without hopelessness. So if you always got what you wanted when you want it, there'd be no reason for hope, correct? So hope happens specifically because people are waiting for something. Now, for me, people in here have heard my story. I remember when I was around 16 or 17, and I was trying to think and frame the most hopeless times in my life. Easily 16 to 17 years old. You know my story. Drug addiction, zero ability to perform well in school, zero ability to understand my identity, extreme insecurity in a space where things were just, I couldn't figure out how to frame life in a way that looked, I could look forward to it. And I was hopeless. Like hopelessness, hopelessness is dangerous. When people are hopeless, crazy things start to happen because there's nothing to look forward to, right? If you're not looking forward to anything, that's when all kinds of dangerous stuff happens. That's how wars are started. That's Patience. You don't hear about patience in the process of war, right? You don't hear about patience. These things happen when people are hopeless. There's a lot of hopeless people right now. I'll even, in the world, yes, in this room, yes. Specifically in our world, like turn on CNN or Fox News, you know, whichever one is more fair and balanced, which legitimately, guys, none of them are fair and balanced. Let's just be honest. But you can just read any newspaper. There's some crazy things happening right now. People are being killed right now. People are being sold into slavery right now. People are being made to do things that they shouldn't be made to do. People are being, children are turned into warriors right now. I mean, it's, it's crazy. That's, that's around the world in America, right? Like hopelessness here. It maybe looks different. Maybe it doesn't look like we're being forced into child labor or people are. Maybe it looks like materialism here. Maybe it looks like 
elitism here. Maybe hopelessness surfaces in a different way. But nonetheless, hopelessness is all around our world, right? And, and we're not doomsday preachers or people that we just talk about how bad our world is again, right? Like we're those Christians like, you believe how bad this world is. We just need to shut up with that stuff, right? That's why we are here. We are, if we're of Christ, the hope of the world. The body of Christ becomes the hope of the world to the hopeless, to the people who are broken, to the slave being hurt, to the person being abused. We are that hope. We are that hope. And we, we are here to provide hope for that. So as we start today, I wanted to frame a little bit, right? Like, So when someone is in a hopeless situation, it's really hard to generate your own hope. So for me, when I was that 16 and 17-year-old, some of my family is in this room, I had people who were around me speaking things into my life that I could have never believed, that I would have never put my money bet on. People saying things about my future, people helping guide me in ways. I've told you guys about the time when I was 17. I spend the afternoon doing things I shouldn't be doing. I show up to my house and my whole family's framed in my living room with a plane ticket for me to get on an airplane and fly to a rehab in Utah, right? Like, people who would, my cloud of witnesses around me that would see the possibilities into my future and do something about it, right? Not only purchase a ticket, but weepingly tell me how much they love me around a living room. Really uncomfortable for me. Incredibly uncomfortable for me. I was actually drunk in the setting so that I could even, like, understand it. It was like, these people that fought for me, right? Because I was in no situation to fight for myself. I couldn't frame hope. I didn't know what it looked like. I would have not understood it. And so these people fought for me. Eventually, I began to taste hope. And when you start to taste hope, specifically the hope of Jesus, everything starts to look different. I remember the moments in my life where Jesus became a reality and not just something some guy said on a stage that was trying to impress me. I remember when I would lay down in my bed at night and actually feel the presence of Jesus in my room because I felt peace for the first time and I could point to that feeling like peace. I remember hope feeling like I'm not going to die by the time I'm 25. I promise you I thought I would be dead by the time I was 25. That was the way that I, the decisions I made to see past that. I might have a wife one day. I might have a job. Nobody needs to hire this guy. This is my thoughts. There's no shot that I would be I mean, I was a thief as a teenager. Like, to not be seen as that, to have an identity outside of these things, hope started to reframe my whole world. That someone would step in in some way and provide hope for me was really big. So Isaiah, I'm about to read you a passage. We actually had the middle schoolers read it. Who is Isaiah? So he was a prophet. Some people say he was the greatest prophet. He was around about seven or 800 years prior to Christ. He wrote the book of Isaiah, most of it. And most of the things talked about in Isaiah are prophesying about this Messiah that would come. Um, precursor, they had no idea who Jesus was or what he would look like. So every Messiah in their estimation would be a Messiah of war. The Messiah would come to destroy their enemies. And so as you read Isaiah, it's important to understand that we needed Jesus to come to be able to see history through the lens of Jesus. So when we look back and read passages about war and we still think that's the God of today, he's still that God, but we couldn't see him accurately. We couldn't see Jesus accurately in the Father until we saw Jesus, and then he reframed and said, when you see the Father, you've seen me. And who is Jesus but the, 
the one who loves the poor. And who is Jesus but the one who looks at the enemy and says, I love you. So Jesus reframes who God is. He doesn't change God. This has been God all along. We just couldn't see him that way because we needed Jesus to be able to see him that way. And once we see Jesus, we see, oh, I get it. I don't have an enemy anymore. I love my enemy. That's why when he comes, people are confused and angry because he does that, and they're like, no, you're here to destroy our enemy. And he's like, I'm here to destroy things, but things that are much stronger than your enemy. I'm here to destroy much deeper things, things within you things within everyone. So it's important to know that as I read this. Specifically in this passage, there is a a civil war happening in the area. Ten of the tribes versus two other tribes, specifically with a superpower called Assyria that is destroying everybody. Basically, just taking whatever they want. And Isaiah knows it's about to happen to his people. He knows that these guys are coming, and he knows what they're about, and they're going to come and destroy everything. And so when he writes this, he's writing from the perspective of a prophet who sees into the future and says what God wants him to say, specifically for people to hear it and their hearts to be changed. Does that make sense? So this passage is that. Isaiah 64, 1 through 4. Can you pull that up? Oh, that you would rend the heavens. Nobody speaks like this first off, all right? That's not an O. Everybody say O. It's not that kind of O. We don't use this kind of O like... Oh, like if somebody's like really wanting your attention, like, oh, Justin, that nobody does that. But this is that kind of oh, where he's like, so much is surfacing in him, so much supplication that he is like, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries. And that the nations might tremble at your presence. There's something deep within him doing this. You can go to the next one. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. This is a very specific kind of prayer. Everybody say supplication. Supplication is deeper and different than just a prayer where you're like, I would really like a beamer. I would really enjoy a church location. I would really like a beautiful wife or husband. Um, A supplication is when you feel something so deep inside of you. Like, you know, through prayer and supplication, present all your things. You know, you've heard that passage, right? Supplication is deeper than prayer. Supplication is you're yearning for this to happen. I've prayed supplicary. Let's just pretend like that's a word. Prayers for family members. I've prayed supplicated prayers for my kids. I've supplicated for my wife. I've supplicated for myself. It's different when you supplicate. He's supplicating on a deep level. He's not praying for himself. He's praying for a people, and he's saying, oh, break in, and he's reminding them of some things. So the mountains would tremble. He's actually pointing back to when he was at Sinai, when God came down at Sinai, and the people couldn't even get near, but God did these crazy things. He's saying, it's, you're so far away from us right now, even that would be pretty fantastic. Come down. Like, do whatever you got to do. Get down here. Your presence is better than not your presence. You need to make our enemies run. You need to do things like you've done them before. Do, do this stuff like you did it before. What are you doing? Come down. Oh. Not oh. Oh. Come down. 
Like, we, we crave these kind of things when we pray, right? Like, we pray prayers like this at times. We want to see, I would love to see ISIS completely destroyed. And everybody would say amen, right? But Jesus, I, and this, if you don't tweet this, Jesus doesn't frame it like that, right? He doesn't, he doesn't frame it like we frame it in our perspective. We would love to see things destroyed that hurt, right? Until we realize that the things destroying things are also inside of us. We don't want to destroy those things. So that's what Jesus comes down to, to be the destroyer. They pray for a destroyer. They seek one. He comes as a destroyer. He destroys differently. He destroys differently. I want to see God do something crazy. I want to see everybody in ISIS saved. People who are making kids do things they shouldn't, there's nothing worse than that. Like, that's the worst thing ever. Like, that's awful. I want to see Jesus break into that and destroy whatever program that is, whatever setup that is. I want to see every one of those people saved. I want to see complete healing and restoration for people being abused. I want things to happen now. Things in our state, things in our church, things that I've heard about in people's families. Like, I want to see Jesus break in, break in like he did. He came down and parted waters. I know that you've seen the incredibly accurate biblical portrayal of this portrayal of this in the Prince of Egypt, which is gospel. No, it's not at all, but but he puts the staff in, comes down, he sends down a message to Noah to build a stinking ark, and he builds an ark. And whether you believe that's metaphorical or whatever, God shows up, God brings water to cleanse the earth by destroying the earth. God breaks in all throughout Scripture does these things that can't be done unless God does them. He breaks in. Isaiah's crying out here for people who have not had God's presence because when people don't have God's presence and don't have him to hope for, crazy things start to happen. Specifically speaking, Isaiah 64, 5 through 7, he starts to become really honest about the state of his people, and he puts himself in the conversation. If you can pull that up, Bill. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? That's a kind of a question. Shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind. Take us away. It's a really honest prayer, right? Like... That we would pray. Oh, that we would pray like Isaiah and finally be legitimately transparent about who we are. Because we read this about the, the people in this passage and we think, how stupid could you be? You have God as your... We're the same people. We have the same God, except for we have it better. We have a better version of what they longed for. They longed for 800 years after this for Jesus. Isaiah gets really honest. If this is anything for you, let it be... Just a sharp encouragement that you can pray what's really happening inside of you. If you feel distance from God, does he not know? If you don't believe that he exists anymore, does he not know? Does he want you to hide that? You feel anger or resentment towards him, does he not know? Lament. He's basically calling God on the carpet. I don't know if you know this, God, but you did great things and you're not doing them anymore. Thanks. Appreciate that. Totes preach, right? <laughs> what are you doing? We need you. We're your people. We're stinking people. Get down here. Yeah. And I feel like 
part of it for me is I get these people. Jesus' presence has been away for so long. He's not even here yet, the presence of God. There's pockets in the Old Testament. So they're left to their own devices, and they do what they want, like we do. And this isn't a message about never be these people. The message is we are these people. That's my phone. I'm sorry about that. The message is this is us. This is, this is us. We are these people. We have turned to our own devices. We do sin, of course. But it's not about finding all who have sinned and making sure they know it. It's about pointing everyone to Jesus. So pull up the next passage for me, Bill, please. Isaiah 64, 8 through 9. But now, O oh Lord, his tone changes again. You are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, God. O oh Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. This plea, it changes from anger to your enemies to realization. It's not about our enemy. We could stay there and pretend like it's about them to the realization of, well, we did this. We totally did this. We need to own what we did to, you're our father. This is transition into, we are yours. You created us, every one of us. Enemy, friend, mom, dad, brother, sister, all of us. Every color, every spectrum, everything on this planet are his creations. And they get an answer. It only takes 800 years for this prayer to be answered. So for those of you waiting patiently, think of them. Waiting on a Messiah. That would be similar to someone praying during the Crusades for peace to come. Because that happened about 800 years ago. And then it happening today. So the framing of the waiting and what to do of the waiting... Jesus steps in. Jesus is the answer 700 years later. Can you bring up the Matthew 1 passage, please? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her, divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to make Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall, con this is Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the answer. They wait 800 years, and the destroyer shows up. The destroyer shows up, and, and the answer to the prayer is different. He comes, and he, this time, he doesn't come with a flood to destroy physical planets. He comes with the water of baptism on a much stronger level to invite us into his family. He comes on a much deeper level to look within all of us and say, the enemy is within all of us. And I'm here for you. Jesus comes as Emmanuel with us, what they longed for forever, and no one understood who he was. Can you imagine being on the scene with Jesus and starting to realize what's happening? We've been reading through Mark forever. All year long we've been in Mark. Nobody gets it when he comes. Everybody questions him, even his own. 
Jesus is reframing what it means to be king and what it means to be a destroyer. And everybody is confused. Can you imagine like the light bulb coming on? You're following Jesus. You see him walk up to blind Bartimaeus and include him. You see him walk to this religious leader and invite him. You see him look at an enemy, the nastiest of the nasty, and include them. You see him, his disciples fighting with him. Just imagine like finally understanding this is the one that was talked about. This is the Jesus, this is the Messiah that was talked about all throughout time. He's here with us now. And the thing about it for us, Jesus is present in this room. We're not Isaiah. We're not the Israelites. We're not Assyria. We're not deciphering whether or not it's for us. Jesus is present in our midst today in this room. He is here. He is here. So for those of you longing for hope like we talked about, Jesus is present. And whether it feels like the Holy Spirit comes upon you and fills you with ecstatic feelings and you want to dance, or it's in the embrace of a brother or sister that's a part of his family, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are here. The hope is here. We have the hope to frame it in. We understand who he is. Pull up 1 Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and hope. Christ Jesus of our hope. Sorry. Christ Jesus becomes our hope. So I remember recently I went on a retreat with a bunch of our guys. We do these things called 12 groups where it's spiritual formation, where we dive into some of the ancient disciplines, which are not actually ancient. They're just good, healthy things to help you grow in the Lord. It's not just a celebration. As American Christians, we're good at the celebratory part of Christianity. We're not good at the waiting part. We're not good at the sitting part. And so I went on this retreat, and for two hours every morning, some of the guys in this room were there with me. I went and sat on a river, near a river, didn't didn't sit on the river. That would have been amazing in itself. (laughs) I sat near a river and was filled from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. every day with just this immense hope, like feeling like I was convinced God is good. He's still good. He's drawing me into this story. He has a future, not for our church only, but for your family, for you. He's inviting you in through kindness and hope. He's drawing you to him with things like his love. He's showing you why he created you. I remember sitting on that river and feeling just immensely like something about silence for me. I never understood it. Just being silent helps me to be so filled by Jesus. Being in nature helps me to just sense God did all this without my help. Like he did a tree... He's good at that. He did a river. I had nothing to do with making that river. I could sit near his things and realize he is pretty good at what he does. Right? And just the reframing, this hope filled me for you, for me, for my family, for my kids. Jesus is real. Can I show you a picture of him? Like, yeah, but that's not really him. Can I show you? I can't. But I have enough hope that he is real that I can put everything into that. I have enough confidence in that where I believe, God, you are my hope. When it's terrible, right? When North Korea has a crazy ruler who's trying to figure out ways to shoot a missile at New York. God, you're still my hope. When my son Noah decides that he wants to throw a rock and hit me in the head in a parking lot. God, you're still my hope. When I can't figure out what's not working with me and Sarah and I can't figure out how to be kind, you're still my hope. When our church 
Half the people are here one week, then we're here the last week. God, you're still my hope. If your hope is in Christ, then all these other things can do this. But if your hope is in another thing, it's going to fail because other things fail. But Jesus Christ will be faithful all the way through. So you can put your hope in in him and wait 800 years for a Messiah that comes differently. Oh, you're not going to destroy everyone? That's probably better anyway. You don't want to kill everybody. You can put your hope in him. This season in Advent is about reframing your hopes. It's about reframing who you are and what you're looking forward to. Is your one main thing that Jesus Christ have complete control of your life? Because if that that happens, it's going to be the best it could ever be. You might not have a Beamer. You might drive a Pinto. You might have a mansion. You might live in a shack in Guam ministering to people who need Jesus. You might live in an apartment. You might not have enough money to pay rent one month. If Jesus is your hope and you're putting your faith in him, all the other things can be framed however they want. Right? The Assyrian army comes and destroys everyone. Just a little tidbit for what happens to them. But it also helps them reframe their desires and points them back to a a Messiah that's coming. And they get their Messiah. And you get your Messiah. And she gets her Messiah. And everybody gets a Messiah. A little Oprah plug for you guys. So I'm going to close today like this. I want to say thank you to the Isaiahs in my life. My dad is in this room. Thank you for being an Isaiah in my life. When I had no hope, you stepped in. Sarah, thank you for being an Isaiah in my life. I remember calling you one week and telling you two of the nastiest things I've ever done because I felt like I was on a witch hunt for myself, and if I didn't do that, I was going to go to hell, and I was just clueless. And you listened to the nastiest things I've ever done, and you love me instantly. I want to say thank you to the other people in this room who have, who have been in Isaiah in my life when I had no hope and spoke things into me that I did not see, when I didn't have any identity. I want to say thank you. I think you should think of the Isaiahs in your life because you would not be here without someone supplicating for you. You would not be here without someone grabbing your hand and saying, you're going to rehab. Not everybody's going to rehab, but that happened to me. (laughs) You need Isaiah's. Thank you, Jesus, for Isaiah's, because we're all in this room and wanting Jesus because of Isaiah's, praying the presence of Jesus into our lives before we have it. Also, you need to be Isaiah. This world needs not another doomsday prophet on TBN talking about how bad everybody is and how we all have to be Republican and how we all have to do this. And if you just vote this way, everything's fine. The world needs people who will sit with the fatherless and the orphan and love people who are broken. You are Isaiah. And Isaiah is not just a picture of someone talking about a king coming to destroy. The king that answers that prayer and comes to destroy is Jesus. And he comes to destroy walls between communities and pride and patriarchy in in, in the nastiest way it's ever been. He comes to destroy things that would put people in slavery. He comes to destroy this idea that we have to have everything. He destroys leadership that destroys people. He flips over tables of religious places that would take advantage of people. Jesus comes as the frame destroyer and asks us to follow suit. Be Isaiah to this. And listen, if you're Isaiah, you're not just mad at the enemy and you're not just labeling yourself. You're proclaiming the Father over everyone. You don't even know. You, you don't, I know you don't see this, but I'm praying for you. You're mad at someone. I know you don't see this, but I'm loving you. I, would, I was such a damage to my family. They wouldn't say that, but 16, 17 years old, all I wanted to do was what I wanted to do, and I would, wouldn't care less about harming them. 
They all had to, they had to, had to plan to get together. They had to like give up their day to all come together and write letters and look at me and be like, you, my friend, are a drug addict. I love you, and because of that, we're doing this. Here's a plane ticket to Utah. Isaiah's stepping in when someone needs it, not just when they deserve it. We're good at being a church who steps in when people deserve it or look like us, but when really broken people step into our place, do they feel like they have a place? This is what that group is. Because you're that broken person too. You're just better at at covering it up. You're just prettier. All of you are really attractive, by the way. We're all that broken person. I digress. So worship, if you can come up, we're going to have some prayer. I do want to pray a prayer for our church. This last part of this passage I'm not going to read. You can read it at home. 10 through 12 talks about the status of their churches or their cathedrals and synagogues. And Isaiah mentions to the Lord, I don't know if you've noticed, but these places are desolate. The places that used to be beautiful are broken. The places that used to stand for you and be our place to worship, they are destroyed. Look around. Our enemy has taken everything. My prayer for our church is that we would be not that church, but would be a house that exudes the love of Christ, that doesn't draw hard lines where they don't need to be drawn. That's not about Jesus. That's about you feeling comfortable. That opens our doors and says, fatherless, orphan, broken, slave. You have a place here at our table. You're different. Welcome. You say things differently. Welcome. You worship differently. Welcome. The table of Christ, he is the head, and then everyone is invited. Jesus, that we would be this church that you prayed for in John 17 that we would be this church that you call your bride and look at and are so proud of and so love, that we would be this church that in our city, people notice like the fragrance talked about in 2 Corinthians of the Lord that is pleasing to the nostrils of those in the community, that we would be the church that screams hope to the hopeless and not condemnation to those who are already feeling hopeless. I'm just going to pray over some of you right now. Some of you are supposed to go back into your families and offer love where it's not deserved. Some of you have defined an enemy clearly, and Jesus is trying to erase the lines around that enemy and trying to insert you in that as he came into our world that was hostile against him. And some of you just need to sit for a minute and be thankful that God has given you Isaiah's to point you to Jesus because Jesus' presence is now with you. Don't ever forget If you could all stand with me. In whatever way you can today, in the, in the tone of Isaiah, let's just cry out for our Father for a little bit. Whether that's sitting, I know I've asked you to stand, but if it is more appropriate for you to sit and worship, and that does, that's okay. Just for the next few moments, let's give space for that. I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you, God, that you would just pour your blessings over each person here and our families. Guide us this week. Let us be attentive to you as you lead us. We thank you for every good gift because they're all from you. We thank you for each other and this body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.